Hello, and welcome back to Covering Ukraine. I am your host for this episode. My name is Sarah Lepers, and I am the editorial coordinator of the Europe-Ukraine Desk. I'm delighted to introduce you to a new series of episodes that invite you to dive into special events organized by NOS in Kyiv. We call them Kyiv Media Hubs, and each of them tackles a different topic around journalism and journalists in Ukraine. The first Kyiv Media Hub happened in May 2023 and questioned the way European journalists report on Ukraine in Ukraine. The moderator for the discussion was Anna Mironiuk from the Kyiv Independent. She brought her expertise as the head of investigations and she questioned a panel of distinguished journalists. Among them are Isabel Koshiv, a seasoned correspondent for The Guardian, FT, Washington Post and many others. Vladislav Golovin from Forbes Ukraine, Olivia Kortas, Kyiv correspondent for Die Zeit, and Anastasia Flosova, known for her photojournalism published in The Guardian, Los Angeles Times, The Washington Post, Der Spiegel and many others. We talk about balancing interests, self-censorship and many, many more topics. I will now leave you in Anna's capable hands to guide the conversation. Um, and I would like to address my first question to Olivia. Um, After the start of the full-scale uh, Russian invasion, uh, many prominent media outlets started opening um, Kyiv offices and started reporting on Ukraine on the ground instead of doing something that they had previously done um, by reporting on Ukraine from their Moscow offices. Um, do you see the difference between the coverage that had been there before um, the full-scale invasion of last year um, and uh, starting from 2014? Yeah, I think there's multiple factors. I can mostly speak for the German um, media landscape because I'm writing for, for the Germans. And we actually don't have that many correspondents um, who stay here all the time. The public broadcaster, for example, ARD, they are building an office with multiple journalists and also decide they send me now. But uh, many of my um, other colleagues, they are rotating and they're here for, for a short amount of time. So it's not somebody staying in the country for, for a long time. And I think, yeah, we do see a lot of differences because journalists who have covered Ukraine before for Germany, they have been based in other countries. Mostly it was uh, in Russia, it was Moscow. Um, also one of my colleagues, he lives in Warsaw, he's been um, covering Kiev. And what then happened was that they would come in for elections mostly for um, major events, but they wouldn't spend their, and I wouldn't spend my daily life here either. So we wouldn't spend our daily lives here. And I think when you are like, what for me was very eye-opening when I started covering um, Ukraine after the full-scale invasion, uh, was that whatever I came up with on my desk in Berlin, I come here and the topics are actually not the topics that I would want to cover um, because when I walk the streets I find different stories and I think this makes the biggest difference being here you just see more you know like you, you get you, you're covering what is actually important and not what you think might be important when you're in Berlin how do these themes differ could you bring us a couple examples maybe um, what for example interests me is um, the the housing market whenever I open also Ukrainian media and I think uh, you you probably know that very well from from the Kiev independent there's a lot of um, 
of talk about how people can rebuild their houses, what the government does for them. And when I was covering the refugees coming um, in the first three weeks of the war, housing was all the time a topic that would come up because they would like tell me, yeah, but we are worried about our house. And also when they returned back, it was always like, we don't know what we'll find. So like those topics I couldn't come up with in, in Germany, but here um, people tell me about it all the time. So I think it must be an important topic. And I don't know, maybe it is not. Um, I'll find out when I start researching it. But this is how, how the process differs. Thank you a lot, Olivia. Um, Isabel, since 2014, um, there were so many um, misconceptions about Ukraine in the international media, uh, for example, on topics of, uh, well, Azov, Ukraine's um, battalion, or, um, well, there were many, many, many issues, for example, about um, Donetsk, uh, people there were referred to as uh, rebels at times, which is not the right uh, uh, word to, to use in this context. So, would you say that after um, after the full-scale invasion, the situation with the uh, with the wording and, and, and with understanding of Ukraine uh, has changed? Um, so yeah, no, absolutely, it's changed. Um, I still think it has a very, very, very long way to go. I think with the invasion, it was so black and white; it was so simple for people to sort of grasp. But even when people look back at what happened in 2014, like in the media, they still sort of use those terms, and they still can't quite. Um, believe Ukrainians when Ukrainians say no, it was actually this way. Um, so I think there's this kind of, there's this concept in academia at the moment, uh, it's like, it's called like epistemic uh, injustice, where basically it's, it's, it's usually used to refer to people of color, like in America or like Native Americans, uh, where their side of the story is just not believed, like they, they're not uh, classed as people who have the right to have knowledge. And um, so I think, it's, I think it's still a big problem, and I think I still see that a lot with editors. I think that, like, you know, pro-Russian rebel, pro-Russian separatist, et cetera, is still used with no kind of explanation of what actually happened and why it happened. And, like, I think if you take, like, what happened in 2014, that was a special operation. Like, it was. Like, they were very successful in convincing the world of their narrative, and then what happened this year, like, they just completely messed up, basically. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so I think, like, I think there's still a long way to go. Um, I think because so many people have been based in Moscow for so many years, like, that kind of journalistic knowledge which was built up in Moscow and other places over, like, 100 years, you know, journalists were always based there, um, just, ha just, hasn't, just hasn't had the same sort of, we, like, Ukraine just hasn't yet had the same number of people learning about it. So I think there's still just like a massive generational gap. Um, and I think there's also this thing of people won't, don't want to admit that they don't know. So uh, when Ukrainians tell them, no, it's not this way, um, they'd rather just say, no, no, we know better, rather than actually go to the effort of learning about something <laughs> new. I guess that's my kind of take, yeah. Also wanted to follow up, um, Isabel, with the, like, how do you believe the, knowledge of local context um, and knowledge of background of local politicians impact your reporting? Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think, um, especially at the beginning of the invasion, like, politics sort of disappeared in a way and, like, kind of a, you know, a greater, like, narrative took over and that was, I think, the right thing. And, like, when people came here, they were doing very much, like, reactive reporting, like, going to a scene, interviewing witnesses, and then just saying, okay, this, this, is, this is what happened and, you know, this is how awful it is. Um, I think particularly now, like, you know, we can see that politics is kind of 
definitely coming back into the fold. Um, I think in Ukraine, like, you know, nothing is as it seems when you get to like people in power, basically, right? And um, I think if you don't know that, then like, uh, you're going to get yourself into trouble because you're going to start trusting people and trusting information which you shouldn't be. So yeah, I think I think it really does matter. I think it's going to matter like more and more uh, as time goes on, especially like next year, this year, next year, especially. Why so? Uh, because I think. Well, first of all, you're going to have, you're like, we're already getting a lot of investment from the West into reconstruction, already seeing, you know, incidents of corruption, um, and that's nothing, you know, Ukraine-specific corruption happens in every country, including the UK, uh, but it's just, uh, you just have to understand that people, certain people are going to sell you an idea, um, and that there are different power groups in Ukraine, different clans, and a lot of people who got to power, in, in fact, most people who are in power, without exception, got there because they did deals. Um, and they are, they are sort of somebody's person. Um, and if you don't understand who they're, who they're working for and why they're, you know, why they're there, then you kind of can't analyze the information that they're giving you. All right, thank you. Um, let's talk about the access that uh, foreign media and Ukrainian media are having uh, to the front line and to people in power uh, in Ukraine at the moment. Um, do you guys think that the foreign media and the Ukrainian media are um, exercising the very same access uh, to people and uh, um, places? Um, please, love, maybe you would like to start? Um, Is the treatment fair? Or you know? You know, uh, from my perspective, it uh, depends mainly not only from uh, the media, but mainly from like mediators, which we call like, fixers. Uh, of course, if it's like widely known media, like New York Times, Washington Post, or The Guardian, or anybody else like widely known in the Ukraine as well, it's easier to arrange anything, any kind of access. For the when I'm, for example, when I'm as a producer, I'm talking with uh, uh, with press officers or with some commanders. It's much easier me to 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 name the widely known media uh, because uh, it's it's a great audience. It's uh, millions of readers, and uh, when it's something not very well known media, it's it's not very easy. But it mainly depends on uh, what uh, uh, what relationship uh, do you have with, with uh, your speakers, with uh, with the military guys, and because if you know, when I was working uh, like before the full scale invasion, I was working uh, for Forbes. Uh, we covered like a lot of business stories. We usually say like, you know, PR managers were invented to bypass them. It's a like usual joke uh, that uh, when you get uh, you want you want to get some interview, and PR manager he is like just creating obstacles for you, and you you're just trying to find the way to how to go around him to get the contact of the of the person of the business of the businessman. And uh, uh, for the first time, I was thinking that it it doesn't work for the military. But <laughs> later, so the press it, officers uh, are there to actually help. Always. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they help, but uh, not not uh, they um, not have always have possibility to help. Bes uh, besides, uh, 
there are a lot of extremely good press officers, which I'm impressed of, uh, which, uh, with, uh, with reporters' background or communication background. But sometimes, sometimes I, I met uh, this very strange attitude among press officers, which are saying, oh, this media, they want only to know, to show the blood, only to show the sensation, like, and they like, uh, uh, they do not understand the role of the media, some of them, and it's extremely hard to communicate. It's not all of them, it's a teeny minority maybe, but they also could create obstacles. So, turning back to the question, it depends from the, each, each person, each from uh, communication skills of the reporter uh, on the ground and from the fixer on the ground. Anastasia, would you like to say a few words about the access uh, to oh, the yeah. online? <laughs> Any obstacles you've uh, faced uh, in this regard? Uh, yeah, I mean the same. Uh, the same as uh, Vlad was saying about the press officers being as like extremely good and extremely helpful, and I really know like a lot of them. So like first and foremost, uh, they make uh, our work much easier and they make our work um, possible first and foremost. And uh, yeah, this attitude that I also, that kind of surprised me uh, uh, that I um, uh, recently uh, acquainted from a press officer, uh, it was a complete misunderstanding of the role of the press officer. Uh, he told me, well, I'm here to take the pictures, but uh, and I was a bit shocked because I was thinking that uh, so the person doesn't understand the role of the photojournalist, and uh, also I think that uh, yeah, I think that also sometimes they don't don't understand what stands behind uh, this access, what stands behind the journalist's arrival to this or that position, and it can it it usually well it. It, it, it must be, and usually these are years of training, years of uh, reporting on this war, and also um, doing like first, uh, first aid trainings and uh, being constantly uh, watching, the, watching the situation. And also, it's not uh, like an easy walk to take. So, uh, yeah, it is kind of important to emphasize on the uh, role of the media to the press officers on the ground. Isabel, um, do you, um, how much do restrictions that are put in place uh, together with the introduction of martial law um, impact your work? Um, yeah, so I, I would say like at the beginning it was, uh, it was a big shock actually because um, before that like the, the Ukrainian media had been pretty like anti-authority and like very sort of um, Critical? Very critical, very open about being critical, very, you know, the, the media was very much a part of uh, the kind of pushback against, uh, against like, bad things happening here. And, uh, you know, there was, it, you know, they kind of took away some of those freedoms with that law. Um, so at first it was a bit of a shock, um, and then you kind of got used to it, and, and there were definitely certain aspects that you kind of immediately understood, like, you know, when it comes to like the security of the soldiers, like obviously, you know, as a journalist or just as a person, you don't want to endanger people's lives. You don't want to let people know where a base is, and then, and then you know, a rocket comes and 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 something awful happens. Um, so I think you know, I think then it kind of moved to the next stage around the time when they were kind of messaging about the Herson offensive um, in September and. Um, certain press officer 
uh, you know, quite a few of them were kind of releasing new guidelines like suggestions, uh, although they weren't officially part of the law, which uh, included all kinds of different new things that they kind of just invented on their own mostly for their own benefit uh, but which were which were which were readily like kind of dismissed and everyone pretty much said no like we're not going to follow those because they don't actually you know if, if the ones before made some sort of logical sense and you could see the reasons behind them uh these ones didn't and then i think after the pushback from that i kind of noticed that uh things kind of settled into their place and um people just kind of learned to get on with it um, you know, still occasionally you get people who post photos of like trails of smoke and, and rockets, which you're not meant to do because basically uh, from that, uh, you know, the Ukrainian military says that, you know, Russia can locate where the air defense is, for example, or, or something like that, like geolocate. Um, so you, you still get people like breaking the law, um, but it's mostly sort of, you know, it's mostly the exception. I think. I think the biggest thing now is obviously talking about losses um, because it's, it's, it's probably the best kept secret of this war is like how many Ukrainian soldiers have died. Um, and, uh, and the kind of messaging around that, obviously the, for the Ukrainians, they say, well, this is a sort of a, a military uh, strategic uh, advantage for us to keep this a secret, and and yes, you can understand that. But you know, there's also the question of like, well, it, is it also because you don't want to dent morale? Um, is it also because you've made mistakes that you don't want people to know about? Like, and those are very uncomfortable questions because ultimately, uh, you know, objectively, U Ukraine is the victim of this war. So to then criticise Ukraine on those factors is, is is quite a difficult thing to do, but. Uh, but there's no doubt those kind of incidents have happened um, and the, the way that you kind of report around that and uh, try and continue on reporting on those factors and trying to continue to show like what is actually happening it, it is really challenging because uh, you there's a lot of pressure to toe the line I guess um, but yeah I would like to ask our Ukraine representatives, um, do you guys believe that um, there is a room of, uh, for self-censorship while you are a Ukrainian, being a Ukrainian reporter or photographer, being in Ukraine and having some you know, personal attachment to the country which you are covering? Is there room for self-censorship? Uh, I had a hard one, just like uh, the day before yesterday, I was... Uh, uh, photographing the uh, um, Russian prisoners of war. Um, well, of course, uh, I was asking if they don't mind being photographed, and uh, all three of them uh, said no. So, uh, well, I mean, they're showing the face. Uh, so I offered them to hide the face, and uh, of course, like three of them wanted to uh, hide their faces, so I uh, needed to protect their, their identities. And, well, of course, uh, uh, there is no way that I'm going to disrespect the will of the person that I photograph. Um, but I would say that now I'm in the process of edit, and I'm going to share my concerns right now. <laughs> um, because it's all about the details, right? And uh, we know that uh, they are uh, not very... They are, like, even close by the volunteers and... Uh, Basically, uh, as people who sit in the detention center, they don't look nice and uh, fuzzy, right? And um, 
I photographed uh, the, the, their clothes, like the way they were dressed, and uh, one of them had a really like cracked boot. So I have a picture of this cracked boot. Um, so I'm thinking now, you know, if I'm going to include that image into an edit, if I am am I adding to the, a narrative that uh, these are poor uh, Russian boys or guys or men who were uh, who didn't uh, understand what they are doing and now they're struggling in the Ukrainian imprisonment, right? Uh, but at the same time, am I going to censor myself and not include that image into the edit? Because, I mean, usually I would do that, right? Um, so that's a tricky question, and I don't think that I have an answer to this one. Thank you. Vladislav, uh, do, you, do you find it as a challenge for yourself? Uh, Self-censoring yourself, maybe? Any cases like that? It's always uh, challenging, but uh, actually I'm, I'm, I'm doing it on more or less regularly, <laughs> unfortunately. So when I'm, uh, when I'm reporting for the for, uh, local media and uh, for we are, when we are like preparing the like big feature, big story, we do a lot of different interviews and like in latest two, latest two cases to my stories, I dig a lot of interesting information. Uh, which I understand uh, that if I would like cover everything which I know, it uh, it definitely will be used by the Russian media as uh, in their information war against us. So I try to to bypass uh, this um, topics and to to create some you know kind of balanced reporting for these both cases. Uh, because I do understand the, like, the responsibility which any of us has. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's maybe the, why one of the differences uh, which I noticed between the Ukrainian and foreign reporters to um, we are at the war. Um, of course, we are not on the front line, but we are on information war. And Russian propaganda is uh, extremely uh, powerful. And it's not only uh, done for in, in, in Russia or in Ukraine, but also in Latin America and Africa and Europe. So we, we do understand that uh, any of anything that we will report could be used by Russians against us. So uh, we, we must always uh, remember about this. And, uh, shall, shall this stop us, though? Because anything can be turned into Russian propaganda, isn't it? Yes, anything, of course, but uh, it depends from each details and each story. As we've just moved to the uh, topic of Russian disinformation and misinformation, um, do you have any uh, tips on how not to fall victim to Russian disinformation and simultaneously not to become a press office of uh, Ukraine's military and Ukraine's uh, political establishment? Isabel, you want to... <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's really important uh, for Ukrainian journalists to sort of remain true to themselves and true to the like traditions that they built, you know, and like, if you look at all the kind of progress which has happened in Ukraine, like over the last, like, you know, since independence, so much of that has been driven by journalists, um, you know, in terms of the Maidans, uh, in terms of publications, you know, in the summer, like yours included, um, like some very powerful publications happened, which, you know, opens your eyes to the reality rather than just like the nice picture of heroism, which 
is real and and has happened uh, that you know we like people have published about you know time and time again um but i think it is very difficult for like ukrainian journalists like often to take themselves out of a situation which they are like uh you know they are a part of um like these are their families this is their homes uh, a lot of ukrainian journalists like have had parents or relatives uh like trapped on the occupied territories uh, some of them still are like you know journalists have died at the hands of uh russian weapons and russian soldiers themselves so i think it is very difficult to to sort of separate and take a step back right now but um but i do think it's i do think it's very important um because i don't think you know whatever what, what russia's done here you know the, the the fact that there are international criminal lawyers looking at the evidence and concluding that what russia has, has done are like some of the most heinous like war crimes ever committed and nothing you know in terms of corruption or in terms of you know bad people doing kind of things within the ukrainian state or government nothing can negate that like you know that uh, those things can't be taken away from ukrainians so i think that ukrainians shouldn't fear uh fear criticism and 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 fear you know being being true to what what their job is because you know ultimately if they don't do it then uh you know people on a national level and international level uh, are going to have a very skewed view of things and and then it is like it's like what nasia says it starts turning into some sort of alternative you know and i, I think it's a long way from that still but you know it, there's a there's a possibility right and like anything there's always a danger and i think that's exactly like i mean if you look at what happened in russia like if you if you look at what happened like 10 years ago you know you had those protests in moscow and and although it seems like so naive now to think like people still thought oh yeah maybe maybe there'll be a revolution in russia and maybe something would change um because you know there was still sort of a kind of active oppos opposition in in some respects right um and if people could fast forward to then what happened or even if you went back to russia in 2000 or or in the late 90s and and all these kind of you know it was slow right it was first the tv channels then the newspapers then more and more and more and more pressure this journalist that journalist that journalist and if you don't stop and say like actually no like you know uh you know protect your rights and, and protect your rights uh, you know as a journalist then uh, then you can end up in the same place it's not impossible like you know so i think it is really important that like ukrainians don't fear but i do understand uh, that it is a you know ukrainian journalists are also victims of this war um, just by being citizens of ukraine um and uh yeah that's basically what i have to say <laughs> um let's talk about the so-called war fatigue the war russia's war against ukraine has been ongoing uh, for almost a decade and um, um, I would like to ask you um, are there any tips that you would uh, um, suggest us to use when we are talking about uh, trying to so to say sell your story to the editor trying to keep your editor interested in uh, your Ukraine reporting and also tr trying to uh, retain your audience engaged and, 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 and interested in, in, in Ukraine itself so yeah I, I think that ukraine actually i would say interest is still very high um so i think it, it was unbelievably high in the first few months of the invasion and like uh, you know this is going to sound crass but i think the all of the uk media and papers reported record like profits basically they made uh, they had record viewing figures on all their sites on their channels and it was all to do with ukraine 
Um, and I think pretty much the same goes for the US, but I haven't read about it in as much detail. Um, and it's still very high, considering that this, for most people, is a you know a foreign country. They don't have a connection to it. Um, people are still very much uh, interested in this like fight, essentially, essentially, um, and the struggle. Um, so I would say it's like remained very high. Um, it obviously has gone down since the you know since the first like couple of months. You know, you know, unfortunately, you know, it does take events happening um, to kind of keep the media, the media interest uh, alive. But um, but ultimately, I think that Ukraine has won uh, a certain level of interest, which isn't going to go away anytime soon. So, like, I mean, if you open up like BBC News, like any day, like Ukraine will always be somewhere in the top 10 stories, the same with The Guardian. Uh, the, the same with most British newspapers. Um, so I, I just think like it will go up and down, but it will always remain like fairly, fairly high. So, so I think yes, it's going to be uh, yes, like budgets are going to go down. Yes, there are going to be you know perhaps fewer rotations and people coming in. Uh, but on the other hand, and I think like Olivia can speak about this a bit more. But like I think that you know some people some sort of you know editorial like uh teams have kind of recognized that there's been this huge like geopolitical shift and the need to have people permanently based here so you've seen a lot of bureaus open up particularly american ones um that hasn't happened across the board and uh, unfortunately i think it will take more events uh or like whatever happens for that for that to kind of take place um because like if, i mean if you look at history like you know, still so many newspapers have people based in Warsaw where like just objectively there's, there's you know that there isn't as much news right uh, if you if you look at the 30-year period of like you know or since Ukraine's independence so um, yeah so it's, it, it's, it's happening uh, it's, it's happened at an accelerated rate because of the invasion um, but uh, I still think it's kind of in some places, in some countries, taking a while to get to the stage where people recognise that uh, actually this is in itself uh, a, a country worth reporting on. So yeah, it's it's kind of you know some pluses and minuses, I guess. Any thoughts? Uh, yes, I noticed that uh, there is uh, like a expanding of the topics which international media are covering about Ukraine. If it started from the like fighting on the front line or war crimes, then gradually uh, it turned to the uh, different topics of, of uh, what impact the war has on Ukrainian society. Uh, I remember uh, Le Monde made a great uh, special edition about Ukrainian history, uh, like starting from the, the Kiev and Russ and, and to, to the war for independence during the uh, 1917, 1918, and uh, it's like it looks like the international media are started with uh, with the war, and then like explaining what is this country uh, and what is going on uh, another important uh, topics in this country. Olivia, are you struggling between your uh, Ukraine stories to your editors? Um, no, not at all. Uh, I'm I'm with the politics desk, uh, but uh, throughout the last couple of weeks, I've got so many um, requests from colleagues from other desks. 
um, if I could write a story and I just haven't had time yet. So I'm, I could like, I think I could be two people uh, and I would still not meet all the requests. So I see there's a huge uh, interest. Um, it's it's also, like, I hear from our onlineers uh, that of course interest has gone down as, as Isabel also said, but um, but then there's this decision of reporting on it still, but and there's also interest within um, the society, I would say. I, when I was in Germany now, I, um, I spent uh, all of, I think, March and half of April in Germany. Uh, people would come up and they would ask questions because they are also, their lives are also influenced by the war in Ukraine. Obviously, like if it's businessmen and women or if it's um, people who are asking, so what about all the families that are now um, not together anymore? Will the women stay in, in Germany? Will they get jobs here? And do they, like, you know, like there's, I think there's a lot of um, blank spaces uh, and, and a lot, lot of questions coming um, our way when, when we are covering um, this, this country. And I think, yeah, definitely there's, uh, as Isabel also said, there, there's going to be a um, long-term interest uh, and people always, you know, turn away from misery when it takes too long. It was the same with the refugee crisis. People didn't want to see these pictures anymore. Um, I guess that's something that we have to deal with. It's hard for me to deal with that as well. I once wrote a text about um, about people who uh, basically got injuries that would change their lives forever. And one of the four um, people I chose to to write about then in the article, um, it was the the beginning two paragraphs, I think, um, or like not two paragraphs, was full page. It was uh, about a 11 year old boy who got hit by a cluster bomb and. Um, uh, basically, most of his organs were somehow injured, and um, and he was recovering. And I met him uh, six months after that happened. And I, I wrote, and I really chose very, I would say, neutral language, um, because there's no need in you know making this big. It's already very, very dramatic. And many of the commentaries um, under this text were saying, yeah, I, I just had to stop after three sentences, or I had to stop after two paragraphs. Oh, this is so horrible, but I couldn't finish the text. And this is something, you know, I was asking myself then, okay, should I write differently about it? I, I realized then for myself that probably every um, human has a, a certain border, um, and mine is somewhere, and, and the reader's is maybe somewhere else, and like, I think, when somebody gets to a point where they say, okay, they don't want to read that anymore, maybe something has already changed, maybe they, have thought about this topic. So like say, saying that, like I think there's been a lot of reporting on death, um, obviously, and there's gonna be more reporting on death still, uh, but, but people just sometimes get tired from that, and I think it comes with waves as well. I think uh, sometimes readers can read it again, and then they don't, um, but overall, uh, I think that, that Ukraine will still be, in, in Western media, it will be still for a long time important. I hope, <laughs> I hope so. Thank you all. Um, one quick question to Isabel, um, actually a follow-up of something that Olivia just mentioned, um, which goes in line um, with how do you approach uh, people here, like working with sources, and how do you stay a human being while also being professional and journalist, while you're doing these interviews with somebody who is heavily affected by the war? How to not cross the line of this person um, and being really aware of the mental health of this person so you don't really as a journalist interfere much into the um, um, the, the space of this uh, of this person so basically how to work with uh, with sources with people who are heavily affected are there any any tips you would like to share um, 
I guess in terms of tips, like being, you know, being sympathetic and, and, and just letting them talk um, and trying not to ask too many questions, because ultimately, I think, like, with the story that, like, Olivia is talking about, I mean, there are just so many of those, type, you know, there are probably thousands of those types of stories, uh, you know, if you, if you range from people being severely injured to tortured, um, and the stories are dramatic in themselves, you don't need to ask lots of questions in order to sort of get the story so to speak um but like you know ultimately i think like you know there there've there've definitely been occasions where you know like i've said something not quite you know and i've tried to kind of you know i've tried to react to that and you know pull back and like um and i think it's you know i think it's very difficult i think like it's very difficult particularly for ukrainian colleagues because uh, if you're hearing the story first person in your own language and if that's a person that you can relate to that's going to affect you a lot more um, and like uh, although like I'm but that means that you can be more easily sympathetic and, and yeah it, it no it does it does but it's also just like sometimes that can be very difficult to manage with the desk um, so like for instance you know you've got somebody who's been you know, very, very brutally tortured, and it's it's 5 p.m. and you got to file by six, so you have to say, okay, like, um, you know, like, how do you wrap up that interview? And like, obviously, you have to make the choice that you do the right thing for the source, and you push back on whatever else is happening deadline-wise. But you're constantly sort of in between those two. You're the you're the you're the in-between person in that sense, and. Um, you know, uh, you know. Similarly, like when you witness the mass graves or anything like that, and you know, writing about that stuff in the car and all of those kind of things, and you're under pressure to, you know, to structure, to write well, to file on time because you know, they everyone's got their own schedule, and so it's like you are, you know, I don't know. It is, it is very difficult. Um, I think that ultimately, like, you always have to try and just remember, like, okay, this is the person in front of you, and this is the most important thing whatever happens after that is kind of like you know will happen um and uh and also just i guess also like trying not to follow up with any questions i think that's really important i think once somebody's gone through whatever's happened to them they've already basically been re-traumatized by that interview um so following up again with extra additional questions although sometimes you need it just try not to do it, just try and write around it somehow, um, would be my kind of, yeah, suggestion. Are there any questions in the audience to our brilliant panelists? Okay. Don't be shy. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Marion from uh, French Radio. Um, <laughs> So I'm a radio journalist in France, and I was just wondering about uh, the position of Ukrainian journalists, because um, we talked with many journalists this week, and, and um, several of them um, said to us that they were soldiers uh, for their country too. So do you have a re reaction on, on this? You mean like soldiers of information war, you mean, yeah? Yeah, yes, it's, it's always uh, like uh, <laughs> you want, um, I want to be like a hero of my country. I'm not, I'm not fighting on the front line, but I'm doing like in information war, but, which is not true actually, because uh, we are like reporting. We are not like uh, sacrificing our, our lives as our soldiers. Uh, 
Of course, we must stay uh, uh, independent and natural. And maybe one of the great examples which I remember is a uh, uh, big um, investigation which Kiev Independent made about the foreign legend. Uh, and several cases which uh, made Ukrainian Pravda uh, about, uh, uh, about the problems we, we have in our country. Uh, it's, we are not, we're not soldiers. We are, uh, if we are soldiers, we are not uh, reporters anymore, from my point of view. Any more questions? Hi, I'm Sasha from Italy. Uh, what do you think uh, were the most important mistakes made by uh, foreign press covering this war in the last years? I mean, also before the full-scale invasion. And uh, what do you expect now from foreign press that the attention is slowing fall down? Um, Any mistakes? Of uh, media? Just just few examples which I noticed from time to time of uh, reports about the um, Melitopol, uh, like Ukrainian mayor of Melitopol reported blah blah blah. It's how it how it's covered by BBC or by Reuters. There are no like Ukrainian mayor of Melitopol. It's mayor of Melitopol. Because it's it's Ukrainian city, you know? the only mayor, the yeah, only, so only one mayor. And uh, another example is also from BBC and from Reuters, unfortunately, like Russian administration of uh, the Parisian region or Russian administration of Donetsk or some some else region. There are no like Russian administration. It's Russian occupation authorities. You know, it's it's like uh, the wording which shows that there is a great impact of Russian editors in, in BBC and in Reuters as well, unfortunately. And, and sometimes it's happened like when you, when some great media, like very quality media, but they uh, covering uh, in, in general uh, of possible threat of returning Crimea, and in that case, Putin could use nuclear weapons, and they are asking for commands from some political analysts, in quotes. And this political analyst turned to be uh, with Russian surnames. However, they based in London, but simple Google search shows that this Russian analyst, he is like, uh, have political education from political science from Moscow. He could not be a commentator, he's, he's biased. He's biased in that case. He could not be, and uh, it's a very, uh, it's a big mistake when you, uh, you know, it's balanced reporting. It's not, from my point of view, balanced reporting. Uh, it's uh, not for that case. We could not ask, uh, for example, the bombing of, uh, I don't know, Mariupol drama theater. We could not ask, like Russian side, what do you think about this? Because it's the same. Like we will ask Al Qaeda, what do you think about September 11? What is your point of view? We want to do balanced reporting. Uh, you know, it's this, uh, this, this, from my point of view, this is a, like main mistakes which are made in foreign media. 
uh, thank you a lot for being with us. Uh, thank you. Big thanks to the panelists and to the audience too. Um, but we uh, ran out of time, so it seems we shall, shall say goodbyes to one another and maybe join us for drinks afterwards uh, for an informal discussion. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh Thank you for listening to this episode of Covering Ukraine. It was recorded by Oleg Taranucha. Daniel Bilik edited, sound design and mixed this episode. The views expressed by the panelists are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the organization they work for, nor NOS or the European Commission who funded this project. The podcast Covering Ukraine was created as part of the Europe Ukraine Desk, a program that aims at building bridges between journalists from the EU and Ukrainian journalists. You can get in touch with us at eud.nos.org. It's in the description of this episode. Maybe consider telling a friend about this show if you liked it. We will come back soon. Until then, take care and thanks for listening. <laughs>